Turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 5, please. I think the sound system's sounding pretty good this morning. Sometimes I feel like I need the lapel mic, but other times I don't. Okay. Matthew 5. I want to read the, um, the Beatitudes, which is Matthew 5, 1 through 12, but I want to add the similitudes into my reading, which is 13 through 16. The similitudes are like salt and like light, hence the idea of similitude. Okay, Matthew 5, verse 1. This is the word of our, our perfect and holy God. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. After he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle or the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you falsely, saying all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, that you have told us that the way that we receive all of the saving benefits bound up in the Son of your love, the Savior of our love, is through that graced conduit of faith and faith alone. But you have told us equally that true and saving faith is seen and proved to be true and saving by our faithfulness, by our obedience. Cause us to understand uh, these things. Cause us to hold them in the way that we should hold them in our minds and in our hearts. May we be increasingly um, faithful people uh, to you, Jesus Christ, May we be the kind of people that you have described, Jesus, that we would be hungering and thirsting for righteousness, that humble and meek and lowly, as you are humble and meek and lowly. And might we, as we consider the beatitude under consideration this morning, uh, be um, lamb-like and dove-like, be the kind of peacemakers that you call us to be. We pray these things in the name of our Redeemer, even Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to look at, um, this is just a topical message I'm taking kind of, um, when breaks occur, I take little breaks in my series. We're in the morning series in the book of Acts, evening series numbers, I'm taking a little bit of a break, and uh, oftentimes I'll go to something like this, uh, which is to me more expressly pastoral, and that's my purpose, to be more expressly uh, pastoral as we look at this. The Beatitudes are not the gospel. There is one man, I think he teaches a false gospel, and he says the, the, uh, the, the Beatitudes are the gospel. Beatitudes are not the gospel. The Beatitudes are an expression of what I would say is the moral law. 
The Beatitudes are an expression of a person that's been converted by Jesus Christ, that's received the gospel. And um, so that to say, what, what we're looking at is Jesus is saying to his disciples, and disciple is learner of, those people that have come to Jesus, that have taken his yoke upon them by graced, wrought faith, the Holy Spirit gifted faith. This is what is normative in the life of the Christian. Does that make sense? So this is not be merciful to earn your salvation, be a peacemaker to make yourself a Christian, but because God in Christ has cleansed you and forgiven you and reconciled you to God the Father, live like this. Does that make sense? Okay. So we're looking at expression of God's moral law for his moral creatures, those people who have been born again in Jesus. I wanted to talk about the subject of peace, which will bring up necessarily the subject of war, and I'll mention that in just a bit. Let's define our terms. Sometimes when you discuss any kind of a thing, it's always helpful to define your term. And this is especially true in religion, uh, Christian religion. Uh, sometimes the Presbyterian and the Baptist could discuss the same thing, but we pour different meanings and we, we speak by one another. So let's look at the business of uh, what peace means. Here's Webster's Dictionary. This is the 1991 version I have in my office. Peace is a state of tranquility or quiet. Peace is freedom from disturbance, a state of security, a state of order, freedom from oppressive thoughts and emotions. I just want you to think of that. This peace that we're talking about, a calm mind, a calm heart. Peace is the um, cessation of hostilities, so no war, no fighting. Peace is calm in the place of that anxiety and love and tranquility in the face of fighting and hatred. That's why we talk about, at the end of time, the book of Isaiah chapter 2, Micah talks about this, uh, that when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back, who is the Prince of Peace, men will study what no more? War. And they're going to beat their spears into what? Plowshares. No one's going to kill, no one's going to harm on, on God's holy hill. When he returns, that's peace. That's peace. That's just it conceptually. Now let's look at peace as um, defined in the Hebrew, shalom, and then the Greek, arene. So shalom obviously is um, translated in many of our English translations as peace. It can mean completeness, soundness, welfare, well-being, friendship, that idea of friendship, prosperity, safety. All of those are encompassed in the idea of shalom. And the Greek is arene. It can mean harmony, that unity idea, that concord, agreement. And the other concepts involved in the arena is mildness and friendliness. Remember, this is to be normative for the Christian. When people look at you as a lover of the Lord Jesus Christ, do they see a mild person? Do they see a person who is disposed to be friendly towards other people? Um, they, they, they should. We are to take on, um, we are to reflect the image of our God and the image of our God in Christ. Now, the reason I think this subject is so important is because we experience the opposite. When we consider peace, what a necessary subject. Um, the word Hamas in Hebrew means violence. That's what it means. Hamas in Hebrew means violence. Can you imagine being a group and naming your group Hamas? Violence. Well, they're a peaceable group. They just named their group violence. Genesis chapter 6, and Hamas filled the whole earth. 
And what did God do? It grieved him that he made men. My son's in the military, and I'm in another form of military. And I oftentimes say this. There'll always be two professions on the earth, pastors and military or cops. <laughs> because the history of man is, is not the history of peace. The history of man is the history of what? War. You know what I think I'm going to do? I'm going to do my lapel mic, mea culpa for this, because I hear, I don't know if you hear, I call it the tinny tin tin sound. And I don't want to bug you for the next, what will the sermon take me another 60 or 70? JK. JK. So the history of man is not the history of a peace. We think, well, if we could go back to another time, perhaps when we turned on the news or opened up the newspaper, we would look at peace going from country to country, man to man, even peace within our own minds. Beloved, that's not true. When Adam sinned against Eve, this, this, the absence of peace, the absence of meekness, the absence of holiness, the absence of good, it was man against God, man against fellow man, and man against himself. Man at war in his own mind, in his own conscience, because he knows he's a rebel against a holy God. So I thought it would be helpful as we look at turning on the news, when Jesus says in the Olivet Discourse, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, we just had our family get together. And um, our family get together, we are all over the lot, religiously and politically. But really, there's just two sides, religiously and politically. And I heard folks talking about the war here and the war there and the war here and the war there and what to do about them. Beloved, only we have the answer. Only we have the answer. And it's not going to occur in 2024. It doesn't come with a politician. It doesn't come with a pill. It comes in the person of Christ. Christ is the peace bringer. Christ is the great shalom peacemaker. He's the Shiloh. He's the Noah. He's the one that brings these things. He, he does it. And by receiving him, we are changed. Prior to the Lord Jesus Christ, we were different people. We were at war. We were at war with God. If you, if you are here this morning and you were converted to Jesus Christ older in life, old enough to know what you were before you came to Christ, before Christ opened your blind eyes, you're old enough to know that you were a, a rebel against God. There was no peace between you and God. He was at enmity with you and you were at enmity with him. And, and what about your fellow man? Look at marriages. Look at the parental-child relationship. Is it a history of peace? No, it, it is not. Look at our own minds. I've said this many times before. On the internet, I don't know how many sermons I have on the internet. A lot. One of them has like 4,000, 5,000 people listening to it. It's on anxiety. It's on anxiety. Because man is not at peace in his own mind, in his own heart, because of the entrance of sin into the world. Jesus comes along and says, I want to talk about peace. But it's not the kind of peace that the world gives. It's the only kind of peace that the blood can bring. Does that make sense? And so as our Christ is, he's the lamb, he's the dove, as it were. We are to be lamb-like. We are to be dove-like. I'm not talking about being a milk toast. So if you're the macho man, if you're charged the hill for, if you're like Vince Lombardi or, or who's the guy, I don't know, World War I, York, I'm not talking about that. 
I'm talking about looking like our lamb, and we are to be lamb-like. I do want to say a thing. When he says, Jesus says here, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Before we kind of unpack this business of peace, I want to say a few things about being a child of God. Because this is a common error even in the Christian church. Um, You likely have met non-Christians, people that reject Jesus outright. I'm not talking about a nominal Christian, a person that says, oh yes, I'm a Christian, but they haven't touched a Bible or have gone to a church. I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about a card-carrying Hindu, a card-carrying Muslim, a card-carrying Buddhist who says Jesus is not the way, the truth, and the life. I'm talking about that person. And that person will say, aren't we all children of God? Christian, what's the answer? There's one place in the Bible that I know of. You may find another one. You, can t- you could even shout it out this morning. I know we're Presbyterian. You could shout it out in a Presbyterian church. If you know of another place, I only know one. In Acts chapter 17, there's two ways to speak about being a child of God. One is a salvific way, which means you're redeemed in Christ, you're forgiven in Christ, and the other is a non-salvific way. It means you're not saved in Jesus. So one is redemptive, saved, and the other is creaturely. I know one place in the Bible where God speaks through his apostle, Paul, to a group of pagans, and I don't mean that as a pejorative, they're pagans on Mars Hill, the Areopagus in in Athens, and God, through Paul, says that God is the father of all people irrespective of their religions. That implies that they're his children. That's one place creatively. So then people could say, well, God has created me. I am a creature. That's true. That's one place. But when Jesus is speaking to his disciples, Mathetes, learners of, they have taken his yoke upon him. They follow after the Lamb of God. That's not in a creaturely sense. It's in a salvific sense. The Lord's Prayer, we say liturgically in this church, from Matthew chapter 6, I did my whole life in another kind of church, the Lord's Prayer. We called it the Our Father. Our Father which art in heaven. That's not creator to creature. That is savior to redeemed sinners. So only the person that is truly born again in Jesus properly can pray the Our Father or the Lord's Prayer. Only the person that's been born again by the Holy Spirit can say to God, Abba, Father, washed with the blood of the Lamb. Jesus is talking to those kind of people. I point that out because that's a common error even in the Christian church. There was many years I used to go to a 12-step program for a problem that I had. And we would close the 12-step program by saying the Our Father. And people, you had people that they denied Jesus, they were of another religion, and they would all stand up and we would pray the Our Father. I was not a Christian at the time. You can't call God as your father in a saving way. This is 1 John chapter 2. This is 1 John chapter 4. If you do not own the Son as your Savior, you can't have the Father. Those who love the Son love the Father as well and are loved by Him. So when we come here, Jesus says, these these people are the sons and daughters of God. They're born again. I can't see your heart. I can't see your heart. I mean, we're, we are very good. We're told not to judge hypercritically or censoriously. We're super good at it, by the way. But Jesus says, you will know them by their what? 
When we come here, Jesus is saying, this is what a born-again person looks like. He doesn't say you have to be able to quote the Calvin's Catechism in Ugaritic, as much as I love Calvin. He doesn't say you have to say you're a Presbyterian or a Baptist or an Episcopalian. I could train a parrot to say that they're an Episcopalian or a Baptist or a Presbyterian. Train a parrot. Does it make the parrot a born-again Christian? No. So what we're looking at here is, Jesus says, this is what born-again people look like. Have you ever shared the gospel with a card-carrying unbeliever? I mean, they don't believe the Bible, they don't have a Bible, they believe in another religion altogether. And you try to share Jesus with them. It's way harder than being a Presbyterian arguing with a Baptist. Way harder. And you finally throw yourself back, these people have to be born again. These people need to be born from above. That's exactly right. But we will know even ourselves. Do we hunger and thirst for righteousness? Are we meek? Are we lowly? Are we gentle like our Christ? Do we labor to be peacemakers for Christ's sake? That will testify to you, no matter all of your faults. The longer I live, I've been a believer since I was, what, 20, 26, I'm 59? I feel like I've done this much sanctification. Is there anything? And when you see, I do labor to be merciful. By God's grace, I do struggle and strive to be a peacemaker. That's the Holy Spirit testifying to you. You are, you are joined to the Lamb of God who's taken away your sins. And he's changed you. When you meet with Christian people that, were not, that, that are unbelievers, they knew you before you became a believer. Let's say you were living in the pig pen. And you meet them, and now you're cleansed by the blood of Jesus. They're going to remind you of all your filth. And what should you say back to them? I was that. I'm not that anymore. I've been washed, cleansed. I'm a peacemaker because of this one. Does that make sense? That's That's what we're looking at. So Jesus is referring to people as children of God in a salvific sense. Now, I do want us to talk about, and I've been saying all along, the source of our, because this is the disciples, what we do as Jesus followers, lovers of Jesus. We labor to be at peace with all people. And we do that because our peace before God has been made for us. I mentioned before we were converted to God in Christ, we were not at peace with God. When I was in college at the University of Massachusetts in Amherst, the, the, the Campus Crusade for Christ kids would say, you need Jesus. And I would say, why do I need Jesus? I don't have a problem with him. I suppose he doesn't have a problem with me. I'm going to go to the keg party. I was not being honest. I did have a problem with God. I hated God and I was a rebel on the run from God. And God in Christ came to me. God in Christ came to you. There was enmity. With, there was war. You talk to an unbeliever. Go talk to an unbeliever. I mean a real unbeliever. Tell them about Christ. Repent. Lay down your arms. Reconcile to God in Christ. Believe upon him. And what will they say if they're not subdued by the Holy Spirit? I hate you. You're not coming to Thanksgiving. That's the warfare. That's the lack of peace. Look in your own head. Why are people running from relationship to relationship, from pill and potion to pill and potion? Why? Why? It's war. War. 
Until Jesus Christ comes back, it will be Ukraine, Russia. I heard a, a general, a, a, what was it, Air Force general, talking about a fighting war with China. A fighting war with China. Okay, I guess I won't have to worry about my 401k. But this is how it's going to be until Christ comes back. Because no man with any man-made means is going to be able to make peace with man to God, man to man, or man in your mind. Only Christ. The Bible says God is a God of peace. The Bible is the book of peace. Jesus Christ is Melchizedek. What does that mean? The king of righteousness. He's the king of Salem, the king of peace. And the church is the eternal city of what? Jerusalem. It's a, it's a compound word. Jeru, city, Salem, peace. The city of peace. Jesus says, these are my lambs. So when, when people look at us, not just unbelievers, other Christians. Have you ever heard the, the phrase, a rage still, or what do they call it, cage stage Calvinists? Don't tell anybody this, but we're Calvinists in this church. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. And we, that means we were out. Most people, when they are Armenians, they don't know they're Armenians, and then we come to know we're Calvinists, and we go beat it up on them. And there's a stage when you come to this realization, it looks like God runs the show. You walk around, ha, 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 and you want to bash people. For the love of Jesus, obviously, right? If we know that everything is a gift from God, our ability to repent, gift, our ability to believe, gift, this is the 1 Corinthians 4, 7, can we figure it out? No, we can't figure it out. I mean, I read J.I. Packer on the responsibility of man and the, and the sovereignty of God. J.I. Packer, we're talking a heavyweight. And at the end of the thing, he says it's a mystery. I'm like, J.I., J.I., I thought you were going to fix it for me. Beloved, th this is gift. We're to look like him. So when we're walking around beating up on other Christians or beating up on non-Christians or being the most persnickety, bitter guy in the room, that does not manifest the love of God in Christ. It's antithetical to who we are. But the Apostle Paul, one of my favorite verses, Galatians 2.20, Jesus is in him. If Jesus is in you, you're born again. He's coming out of you. And what you look at, what you listen to, how you speak, what you say, what you do, if Christ is in you, he's coming out of you. And if you're the angriest guy in the room, it's not just for you're from Boston. The recourse is to repent and to ask God and Christ to change you. So that's what's kind of going on. This is what our world needs. Our world needs peacemakers. And the way that that peace is affected with God, with their fellow man, and even in our own minds, is the good news of peace, is the gospel. The gospel is what does it. It's not those other things. It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that makes our peace with God, that takes away the warfare. It's the gospel. It's the gospel that brings peace men to men. Revelation 5.9, one of my other favorite passages. When we're in heaven, there's going to be one church, ultimately, and it's going to be every tribe, every tongue, what? It's going to look like, it's going to be awesome. Red, brown, white, yellow, it's going to be awesome. One family. By this one. 
It's the gospel. It's the gospel that does that. That makes the, that takes away the enmity. Who are the Hatfields and McCoys? The big enders and the little enders. I'll kill you. I'll kill you. Why? Because you speak different than me. You look different than me. You have more melanin than me. You have less melanin than me. I'll kill you. That's the history of man. And what does the gospel do? It takes that away. We're not enemies. We're brothers. We're sisters. Under one Father. Under one Christ. Governed by one Spirit. It's the gospel. It's the go- and what's the essence of the gospel? What's the essence of the gospel? It's the cross. The word is metonym. It means figure of speech. First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. I suffer to know nothing except the cross. It's a summary of... Does Paul teach on other things? Yes, of course he does. He talks about church government. First Corinthians, the, the first Corinthian letter, they are nutty as jaybirds. Look at, read that letter. He talks on a ton of other subjects. But what's the main thing for the Apostle Paul? Christ and the cross. That's what makes the peace, right? With God, man to man, in our own minds, it's blessed are the peacemakers. So when we look at this business... This is not, who's the Neville Chamberlain? Neville, is it Neville Chamberlain? Right? Peace at our times. Beloved, when we talk about being a peacemaker as Christians, manifesting the life of Christ in us, this is not peace at all costs. This is not peace at all costs. What the unbeliever will say to you as a lover of Christ, here's how we're going to have peace at Thanksgiving dinner. You shut up about Jesus, and I tell you all my nonsense. What kind of deal is this? So you get to beat me up with your false gods and I have to stand there with my hands tied behind my back and a gag in my mouth? I can't say Jesus? Well, the Bible says you have to be a peacemaker so you shut up and they beat you with their false gods. No. No. There is such a thing as too high of a price to pay for peace. We're not talking peace at the sake of, uh, of, of truth. That's too high. So when someone will say to you, well, the Bible says you have to be lamb-like, that you mean to stop that gospel business because it's upsetting people. That's not what this means. Now, is there a way to share the love of Christ, the gospel of Christ, in an obnoxious way? Is there? Yeah, of course. And then we can dress it up like we're just, you know, we're just love muffins, trying to be at peace with everybody, but we walk in and we bash them with the love of Jesus and off we go. We need to check our motives. When we are sharing the gospel of peace, why? Why are you doing it? Are you doing it to show like you're the smartest guy in the room? Send me a postcard from hell. Have a nice day. Wear your asbestos underwear. Is it that kind of a deal? I'm not even being that funny because people do this all the time. And then they walk away like they got a martyr complex. Like they're just hating me because I'm a Christian. No, they're hating you because you're a donkey. That's why, right? So how, how do we live the Christian life? How do we give the Christian message? Is it lamb-like? Is it dove-like? It should be. So this is meant to be normative. And the exemplar of this peacemaker is Jesus. Now, immediately, when we talk about being like doves and like lambs, we think, well, if I'm a dove or a lamb, what's going to happen to me in this world? They're going to chop me up and eat me like hamburger. And what's my response to that? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Read Romans chapter 8. 
start at 28 and go to the very end. We're like sheep considered to be slaughtered all day long. Jesus sends us as lambs out to what kind of animal? Go ahead, you could say it. Wolves. Does that mean the sheep needs to start carrying a bazooka? No. There are guys doing time. There are guys doing time. Because they think, you know what? Plan A, gospel plan, it ain't working. I got to go to plan B. What's plan B? There's two ways to make peace. One with the gospel, it's the other way is the old-fashioned way. What's the other way? You either have peace with me or I will kill you. <laughs> That's man. That's the religion of man. You can call it whatever religion you want. That's the religion of man. You either agree with me and make peace with me or I will kill you. That's not the religion of Christ. Here's the religion of Christ. You will never make peace with me. I will die for you. I will make peace and give it to you as a gift. So the great exemplar of peacemaking is Jesus. And immediately, because we still have the flesh as believing people, we have this warfare going on with, with inside of us. We, uh, this kind of a, a, a sermon, no Christian wants to do this. Why? Because there are people that we hate and we don't want to make peace with. Right? Of course. I've had people say to me, people in this church, on, on, on a Beatitude sermon, we're to love people who spitefully use us. And I went to their house and said, Pastor, that is stupid. No one can do that. I didn't, write the, I didn't write the Bible. I promise I didn't. Is it stupid? Can you do this? Can you be a peacemaker? Can you be a lamb before wolves? What kind of people does God love and have mercy upon? What kind of people? Good people? Evil and ungrateful people. That's Luke 6. God makes peace with utter wretches. Utter wretches. My father-in-law is of another religion, and he taught chemistry in um, Brazil for many years. And the word for believer in Portuguese is crainty. Believer. And he said, the cranties are stupid. They're C students. <laughs> Meaning, you're stupid to be a Christian. And I said, Papa G, I'm a cranty. No, 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 don't, don't, don't say that. Don't say that. You're owning that you're a fool. Oh, beloved, when we come here and we look at all of this business, does God make peace with people that hate him? Yeah, he does. Should we make pe peace with people that are only good and nice to us? Or should we labor to make peace with people that hate us? Christ didn't leave heaven and take to himself human flesh and die on a cross for the righteous people, but for God-haters, for Christ-haters, for Satan-servers, for sin-lovers. He left heaven to make peace with us. So as we consider this business of making peace, should it be with the unbeliever? It should be with the unbeliever. We should labor to make peace with the unbeliever, if it's possible. What about brother to brother? 
We Christians sometimes spend all of our time fighting with other Christians. We wouldn't know what it was like to talk to a non-Christian if a non-Christian bit us in the throat. Because we're so busy beating up on them on who should get baptized and how much water they should get and how much water they shouldn't get and do you speak in tongues or not. Those are interesting things in there. I'm not arguing against the, the usefulness of those things. But are we hating them? Are we embittered against them? Or do we love them? And then with the unbeliever, can they drive you bonkers? Yeah. Yeah. And what should you do when they drive you bonkers? Pray for them. Share the gospel with them. Share it with a broken spirit. Share it with a contrite heart. And pray some more. And then the Bible says to study ways to do good to them. To make peace. I told my sister, I mean our families were, what's the thing, um, dysfunctional. So there was a, uh, there was a cartoon of the, the uh, uh, annual reunion of people raised in functional, non-dysfunctional families and there's one guy in the room. And so most of us are raised from dysfunctional families, whatever that means. My sister is a Unitarian Buddhist. <laughs> the family was agnostic Hindus for the whole week. And I said to my sister, Catherine, I saw this funny cartoon of a guy with a, um, a sweater that said, unvaccinated and ready to talk politics. <laughs> and I'm not saying there might not be a venue to talk on those other things. There might be. Let's say, beloved, you meet with your family member. Maybe they're a Hindu or a Muslim or a Buddhist or just a nominal Christian. They don't really believe. And let's just say, I don't know, let's make them like, I don't know. They're the Hatfields, whatever the Hatfields are politically. And you're the McCoy. And you talk to them about your political view that you want them to have, but they don't know Jesus. What's going to happen? They're not going to heaven, is what's going to happen. They're not going to heaven. You're going to talk about a thing which you're passionate about, I'm passionate about. You want to come to the house, we'll let it all hang out. It will be the Jerry Springer show. We can talk about all that nonsense. No one comes to Christ by talking the other stuff. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of, say it, Christ. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. I'll say this and I promise I'll shut up. Before my mother died, I was back in Boston, same sister. She was talking on immigration around politics. We were eating pizza, and I took the bait. And boy, howdy, it was like Friday night at the fights. No Jesus, no truth, no heaven, no blood, no forgiveness, just fighting over politics. And we got in the car, and my mother said, John, I wish you had never done that. Beloved, sometimes we don't get another chance. Sometimes you never get a chance to say, it's not about the politics, it's about Jesus. One life to live, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Beloved, labor, labor by God's grace to be a peacemaker with the gospel of peace for the glory of Christ. May God be pleased with the preaching of his word.